I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we look into this and other passages of Scripture. Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray for that soul who is not far from eternity. I pray that they would be saved today. I pray for those of us, your people, who have gathered here to hear from you. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as well. We pray it and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. When I was a boy growing up in South Carolina, there was a young man in the school that I attended who had a tremendous talent. He was an artist. He was able to take just a piece of paper and with nothing but a pencil, he, was, he could draw some just very incredible pictures. When he was in the ninth grade, he drew a picture of a pair of tennis shoes. The shoes looked as if they had been just hurriedly taken off someone's feet and just kind of thrown in the bottom of the closet. And he focused on that pair of tennis shoes and he drew a large picture. The picture was larger than the shoes would have been, but he drew a picture of this pair of tennis shoes. He took it to a state art competition and the state judges in the state of South Carolina deemed it to be the number one picture in that category in the entire state. He then proceeded to take it to a national uh, art competition where he won first place in the nation for drawing a pair of tennis shoes. And that that was just this guy. But uh, uh, he was a little bit unusual in some other respects. One day there was a girl that came very angrily to one of the staff members of the school. And she made an accusation. She said, this particular guy spit on me as I was in the stairwell coming up to the, to the classroom section. I was in the stairwell and he spit on me. Well, the principal thought, well, we're going to have to look into this. Uh, perhaps he did, perhaps he didn't. Either way, we've got to ascertain some more facts. So he called the accused fellow in and he said, now, uh, this girl has alleged that you spit on her while she was in the stairway. Uh, is that true? He said, yeah, yeah, it's true. And the the principal was a little perplexed. He said, uh, why did you spit on her? He said, well, uh, I wanted to get her attention because I like her and I thought maybe if I spit on her, she might pay attention to me. And the principal said, well, you did get her attention, but I don't think you got her to like you by spitting on her. And in the process of this whole interchange between this particular young guy and the principal, this thought went through the principal's mind. What were you thinking? What possessed you to come up with this idea? If I spit on this girl, she's going to like me. How many of you understand that's not a good social construct in in the Western world? Yeah, you don't do that. If you want to get this girl's attention, you might consider talking to her perhaps, but spitting on her is not the best advice that anyone can give you. Why did he think this? Well, you know, there have been times in my life where I have to, I have to be honest, I've done some things and looking back on, I think to myself, Paul Crow, what were you thinking? 
How did you possibly conclude that that was going to have a positive, a positive outcome? Well, here we have come to the Word of God, and very honestly, we have read the story of a man, a man by the name of Agrippa, and his response to the Apostle Paul. And I have to tell you, as I read his response, and as I look at the way he responded to everything that had gone on, I have to ask myself the question, Agrippa, what were you thinking? Now, we're going to look at three men that did some things that I don't necessarily understand. It doesn't make any sense. They're negative examples for us, but we're going to notice the things that went on. To Agrippa, I have a further question that goes beyond what were you thinking. It's the question of conversion. And it's this. Agrippa, what more has to be done before you will trust Christ as Savior? Now, I want to say that's a good question. I want us to, I want us to understand some things about Agrippa. First of all, Agrippa had the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means Agrippa knew that the gospel has the ability to change lives. The Apostle Paul told Agrippa his story. Now, we didn't read it through the, through the entire chapter of Acts chapter 26, but the Apostle Paul talked about how I used to be one way, and then I met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, and He has completely changed my life. Can I say to you today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives. I was preaching in South Dakota, Custer, South Dakota. There was a man that was there. He had grown up a Roman Catholic, but he had uh, he'd begun to ask some questions in the Catholic Church, and they didn't like the questions that he asked, and so he no longer felt welcome there, and he ended up in the, in, in, the, in the church, the Mountain View Baptist Church where I was preaching, and there he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He walked the aisle. He trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. You know what that has resulted in? In process of time, his, his father and his mother moved there. They have accepted Christ as Savior, and he has followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and the course of his life has been changed changed forever because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I say to you here, if you're here without Jesus Christ, understand this. If you accept Christ as Savior, your life's going to change. Your life's going to change. Can I tell you a little bit about my background? My father was a drug dealer in the 1970s, the 1960s, early 1970s. And my father heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he had heard it in Sunday school in the Methodist church, but he hadn't really embraced it. For him, there was a big disconnect between evolution that was taught him in the school and the, and the Sunday school lessons he'd heard in, in church on Sunday. And it was hard for him to reconcile the two. So given what he was told in school, he decided, well, I may, I'm going to have to make my way for myself. That's the only evolutionary way. It's survival of the fittest. So here we go. And from there, my dad got in with the wrong crowd. He began to drink. He began to deal drugs so that eventually he sold drugs to a narcotics agent and they put him away in the state penitentiary. Not once, but twice. His first time, he heard a man who had been a hitman for Al Capone. Maybe you've heard of Al Capone in the earlier days of the 20th century. Maybe you've heard of Al Capone, but this man, a man by the name of George Mensick, preached the gospel in that state penitentiary. My dad heard the gospel yet again. Didn't accept the gospel. Then the second time he was in, a man whose name I do not know, I do not know anything about him except that he came into the prison and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and my dad got saved that day. From there it completely altered the course of his life. No, there's been no more drug dealers after that. There's been no more, there's been no more uh, prison sentences after that. Why? Because the gospel changes a man's life. And here, Agrippa is sitting there. He's hearing the gospel of Jesus and he hears how it changes people's lives. I'm going to say to you, when you accept Jesus Christ, the gospel will change your life too. 
this morning I, I told, I don't know if it was in Sunday school or when it was, but uh, I told a little bit about my grandmother. She was 80 years old when she trusted Christ as Savior. She was not a drug dealer. She was not a wicked person. Everyone knew she was from an honest family. My grandpa was one of the most honest men in that neighborhood. If you hired him to do a job, he would do a good job and he'd do it for an honest day's wage. That's just the way he was. He was upstanding. He was, uh, he was just a good man. Everyone knew that. He raised his children to be good men, but he wasn't saved and she wasn't saved either. And yet the day she got saved, she came down that aisle. She admitted that she was a sinner and she got saved and there was a change in her life. It wasn't as dramatic maybe, but there was a definite change in her life. What am I saying? I'm saying the gospel changes lives and here is King Agrippa. He is hearing the evidence of the changed life in the Apostle Paul. And I'm telling you this morning, if you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the gospel will change your life too. But not only did he have a, a Paul's testimony, he heard a little bit about Paul's work in this passage of Scripture. Again, we didn't read it, but the Apostle Paul says, I have, I have walked away from the Jewish religion, and I have dedicated my life to preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. You don't see it so much today, but in those days, the Jews didn't have a lot of dealings with the Gentiles. The Jews especially didn't like the Romans, and the Romans, for their part, they didn't understand the Jews. It didn't make any sense to them. And so along came the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles with what I believe to be a continuation of Judaism. Because the promised Messiah that the Jews have been looking for all of these years has come. And as Daniel has prophesied, he has been cut off. Not for himself, but for the sins of somebody else. I mean, all I'm doing, Paul would argue, is preaching the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets predicted would come. And so now, Agrippa sits there and he hears the Apostle Paul talk about how God changed his life in conversion. Then he talks about how God is using his life in consecration. How he's going on from there and he's preaching to the Gentiles. Let me say say this to you. After you get saved, God's got a job for you to do. And here Agrippa is hearing all about this. But I want you to understand, Agrippa also knew something else. He knew about Paul's about Paul's conversion. He knew about Paul's work, but he also knew about Paul's authority. He knew about Paul's authority in the gospel. Notice what the Bible says. in verse. We've read it in verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. I don't have to wait for an answer on that, Agrippa. I know. Agrippa knew the authority. Let me tell you something. The authority for the gospel is found in the word of God. We go to the book of Romans chapter 3 and we find in Romans 3 and verse 23 all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. That's our authority for preaching the gospel. We go to Romans 6 and verse 23. What do we find? The Bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we find? We find that the Bible is the authority for the gospel. Here's the gospel. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And because of our sin, God must judge our sin. How does he judge our sin? The only way God judges sin is with through death. Either you die and go to hell and pay for your sins eternally, or someone else must die in your place. Those are the options that we have. All throughout the Old Testament, God would give an object lesson to the children of Israel. You bring a lamb, you bring it in the morning, you bring it at night. On the Day of Atonement, you bring a lamb. There's a, there are other animals that you bring, but those animals must be slain. They must be killed. They must shed their blood. And in the Old Testament, we're going to take their blood, and we're going to sprinkle it on the altar, and we're going to show to all the Jews, that the only way to atone for sin is with blood. But then years later, there was a man on the the banks of the Jordan River 
The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus was that man. He's coming down and the, and the apostle, or not the apostle, but John the Baptist stops. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Old Testament lambs covered the sin, but this is the Lamb of God. He will take away the sin of the world. That's Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had no sin of his own for which to pay. And when he died on the cross of Calvary, because he had never sinned, he could take the penalty for your sin. He could take the penalty for my sin. He could take the penalty for my self-righteousness. He could take the penalty for my dishonesty. He could take the penalty for my hatred of others. He could take the penalty for every sin, every dirty word, every thought, every every lie that's ever been told on the face of the earth. He could take that sin upon himself, you see. And And by taking that sin upon himself, he could die in our place. That is the message of salvation. And I want you to understand the authority for that is all the Word of God. This is not something we made up. This is something that has been written down and preserved for us over many, many centuries. This is all from the Word of God. Agrippa understood Paul's authority. Nobody had to tell Agrippa about the prophets. He knew them. Maybe I'm talking to somebody, this is not your first time in church. You've heard a little bit about the Bible. You know a little bit about the Scriptures. May I ask you, what more has to be done before you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Agrippa knew about Paul's testimony, knew about Paul's work, he knew about Paul's authority, he knew about Paul's message. The Bible says, in Acts chapter 26, note note what it says please in verse 23. The Bible says, this is the message that Paul had, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 26. We've read this as well. For the king knoweth of these things. What did the king know about? He knew about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. What does that mean? That means that the Apostle Paul didn't have to sit there and pedantically explain that Jesus Christ was crucified on a Roman cross. Agrippa already knew that. He didn't have to pedantically explain that Jesus Christ was put in a tomb and allegedly came back three days later from alive from the dead. He didn't have to tell about the resurrection. Agrippa had heard about all of that. So here we have a man. He understands the testimony of the changed life of the Apostle Paul. He understands the Apostle Paul's work and preaching the gospel. He understands Paul's authority in the Bible and the Word of God. He understands the, the, the details of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knows all of that. And yet, yet at the end of all of this, the Apostle Paul says, Believest thou the prophets? He says, I know that thou believest. And then there's a pause. Bernice moves a little bit in their seat. Some of the Roman soldiers shuffle a little bit in their stance. All eyes are on Agrippa. And Agrippa says some of the saddest words to ever be uttered. Almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
What is he saying? He's saying, your arguments are compelling. You brought me all to, to the edge. I've heard everything that you have to say. I know of what you speak. I know that there are other attestations to the truth of what you say. But I'm just, I'm just not willing to step over that line. I'm not willing to take that plunge or what, however you want to phrase it. The reality is, as far as we know, Agrippa did not accept the gospel that day. Boy, if I could talk to Agrippa today, I would say, Agrippa, what more has to be done? What more has to be done? But wait a minute, I can't talk to Agrippa, but I can't talk to you. Maybe I'm talking to somebody out there. You've heard the gospel before. You've heard Pastor Bishop explain it to you. You know that the the Bible teaches that all men are sinners and that all of us must be saved, that Jesus Christ came to to, to bear the penalty for our sin on the cross of Calvary, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and right now he offers salvation as a gift. I want to ask you, my friend, what is keeping you from accepting that gift? We all know how to accept a gift, don't we? Oh, yeah. Sometimes people come to me and uh, they want to do a green handshake with the preacher. I hope you do that with your pastor from time to time. Okay? Sometimes people want to do that with the evangelist. But they, they come up and they want, to, they want I don't know why they don't just put it in the offering. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they don't want to do it that way. Okay? That, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not whatever. But sometimes they want to come up and they want to give me a green handshake. You know what? When they give me a green handshake, I'll tell you what I don't do. Oh, 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 what am I I supposed to do with this? No, I don't do that. Because I know how to receive a gift. And so do you. So do you. When it's your birthday, uh, you don't come in, and I don't know, I don't know how birthdays are celebrated. I, when I was a boy, we could maybe pick our favorite meal on her birthday. We might get one gift or two. My wife came from a different culture. It's more of a national holiday with my wife, you know, and uh, I, that's, that took a little bit of getting used to for me. It's just, it's just two different cultures coming together, but uh, boy, there have to be balloons, and there have to be streamers, and there have to, except for my birthday, because my birthday comes early in January when everybody's broke from Christmas, you know, so <laughs> nobody remembers that, but at any rate, uh, that, it, it's, it's different way of celebrating your birthday, but I'll tell you what, when it comes time for you to receive a birthday present, you know how to receive it, don't you? Well, you don't look for it. You don't look at it and say, ah, ah, no, no, I can't accept that. That this, Nobody does it that way. We all know how to receive a gift. And the Bible says, yes, the wages of sin is death. That is true. But conversely, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May I say to you today, if you've never been saved, you're a sinner. Yes, that's true. And it's it's true that you deserve to die and go to hell. Yes, that's true. But Jesus Christ bore your punishment on the cross of Calvary. And today it's been bought. It's been paid for. And salvation is offered as a free gift to you, I want to ask you, what's going to keep you from reaching out and taking it? The same offer was given to Agrippa. But for whatever reason, Agrippa said, "Ah, no. Almost, but ah, it's just not enough. What more has to be done? What more has to be done? I could go on this point all day, but I'm not going to belabor the point except to say, if you're not here, or if you're here, excuse me, and you don't know Christ as Savior, what more has to be done for you? Is it a lack of understanding? If it's a lack of understanding in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. An instrumentalist is going to play something on the piano. Everyone will be standing. During that time, if it's a lack of understanding about salvation, you hear the first note of music, you slip out into that aisle. 
You come down here, you get my attention, I'll turn this microphone off, I'll come down and I'll talk to you. And I will find someone to open a Bible and talk to you. If need be, I'll talk to you personally. But we will get someone to take a Bible and open a Bible and show you what it means to be saved. If it's a lack of understanding, I'm going to invite you. In that time of invitation, you come. If, if you just need, to, if you understand, but you've just never made that decision, then when you hear that note of music on the piano, then you come. Don't look around and see what other people are doing. You just decide, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to come. Uh, everything has been done. The gift has been bought. It's been paid for. It's sitting right there by faith. I want to reach out and I want to accept that gift. That's what you need to do. And you don't need to wait. Don't be like Agrippa. Here is this man. I don't know, but what he's in hell tonight saying, almost, almost, almost. What, what's holding you back, my friend? Whatever it is, allow us to talk to you. Allow us to show you the word of God. It's, we're not twisting your arm for money or anything like that. We just want to give you the free gift of salvation. We want you to understand. We want you to comprehend. That's what it means. But here is a man that answered improperly the question of conversion. You're in your Bibles. Would you find the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is another story of another man, this time a man by the name of Achan. Achan was a man who was part of the chosen people of Israel. God had told them to go into the land. God had told them, when you get to the city of Jericho, I'm going to miraculously tear down the walls after you march around them a grand total of 13 times. Interesting. Nobody's ever, the Army War College doesn't talk about that as a strategy, okay? I know, let's walk around it 13 times, then it'll come tumbling down. No, no, no. That's not the way the, the U.S. Army War College works, but that's the way God, God's people work in the, in the time of Joshua. And so the walls came down. The Bible makes that very plain. And after the walls came down, then they were to go up into the city, but they weren't to touch any of the spoils of the city. The spoils of the city would be the money that these people of Jericho had and the the garments and the, the, the material possessions that they had. God said, don't touch any of that. It belongs to me. Now, later, later on in the conquest, you go into a city, you can take whatever's there. That's fine, but not this time. All right. And so the Bible says Achan went in and Achan saw some things that he wanted and he took them. Well, there's a big battle that goes on, and, uh, and there are 36 Jews that are killed. And, and, and Joshua was thinking to himself, oh, no, now what are we going to do? We weren't the greatest army to begin with, and now uh, the word's going to spread that they can defeat the Jews, and they're going to environ us around, and they're going to kill us. And uh, God, what are you going to do? And God said, all right, Joshua, it's time to get up. He said, it's not the time to pray. It's the time to get right with God. He said, Israel has sinned. They have dissembled also. And they have taken of the accursed thing and they've hidden it in their own tent. Neither will I be with thee anymore except thou destroy the accursed thing from among thee. He said, listen, it's time to get right with God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the entire army. That numbered over 600,000 men, according to the book of Numbers. I want you to bring the entire army before you tomorrow, and we're going to see who has sinned, and we're going to make sure that this sin is dealt with. So we're in Joshua chapter 7. Direct your attention, please, to verse 16. The Bible says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Well, that's good news and that's bad news. The good news is we can eliminate 11 of the 12 tribes. That's the good news. The bad news is the largest of the 12 tribes is the one that has been chosen. 
We started out having to search through 600,000 men. The good news is we can eliminate over 500,000 of them. But there's still 76,000 men in this whole nation of Judah. 76,500 according to Numbers chapter 26 and verse 22. That's still a big number. So now they've got this whole great big entourage there. They've got to go through these people family by family and figure out who has sinned. You understand this is already taking some time. It takes a long time to go through. God has uh, showed them it's the tribe of Judah, but now we still got a bunch of people. Now what are we going to do? Well, the Bible says, notice what it says in verse 17. And he, Joshua, he brought the family of Judah. And he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabda was taken. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabda, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. So now the sin is going to come out. Now, do you understand? Do you picture this? It happens there in the plains of Jericho. We understand that. But realize this takes a long time. At any point in this whole time-consuming thing, Achan could have walked forward and said, Stop the inquest. Let's not go any farther. There's no need. I'm the one that needs to get right with God. There's no sense in you going on with this. I need to, I'm the one that stole it. I took it. I, I, he could have come forward. He could have confessed his sin to God. But he didn't do it. Instead, he waited for this whole long, drawn-out process to work its way out. And finally, when he had nowhere else to go, finally he confessed his sin to God. And God said, that's it. You're not going to trouble us anymore. And he was stoned to death at the commandment of God. (coughs) To Achan, I would ask this question. What are you thinking? But more specifically, how long will you wait before you confess your sin? To Agrippa, we said, what more is it going to take to get you to trust Christ? But to Achan, we ask, how long are you going to wait to confess your sin? Now, child of God, it is not uncommon for the Lord's people to know Him as Savior and yet hold on to some kind of sin. I want to ask you, this is revival meeting. How long are you going to wait before you get it right with God? How long are you going to hold on to it? The truth is, we're a lot more like Achan than we like to admit. That's right. We're a lot more like Achan. Sometimes I'll come and preach in a Christian school and Man, I'll just preach and preach and preach on Monday, preach and preach and preach on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then finally Thursday, people start getting right with God. And when I ask myself, why did you hold on that long? Why did you hold on? All of us do it. Remember, Pharaoh did it. Pharaoh did it in the Old Testament. Pharaoh had, the Bible says there were frogs everywhere, all throughout Pharaoh's home. I'm talking about when they opened the oven, there were frogs in the oven. How many of you ladies would go for that? (laughs) Ribbit. Ah! I don't know that you would. I don't know that you would. I don't think that's a regular occurrence in Northern Virginia. You open your oven and three bullfrogs jump out. I don't think that happens very often. I think furthermore, there may be some of you that are so civilized and cultured that you just might not, you might frown on that a little bit. The Bible says he pulled back the covers of his bed. There were frogs in the bed. Again, I don't know all of you that well, but I'm guessing you're not going to be down with that. What is that frog doing in my bed? What has he left in my bed? I don't want to sleep in that bed. Those might be thoughts that would go through your mind. 
And then uh, he would go in, he would go into the bathroom and open up the, the vanity to get something out. Bad! Frogs in the bathroom. Frogs everywhere. So then he says to Moses, he says, Ah, I can't take this anymore. I want you to pray to God that the frogs are removed. And Moses says, Okay, I'll pray to God that the frogs are removed. When do you want the frogs removed? Listen, here's his answer. Tomorrow. Tomorrow? You don't want them gone today? You're going to sleep with a frog one more night. You're going to get out of bed early in the morning to, uh, to, to, to go wherever you want to go, and you're going to step on a frog before you can get into your slippers. You want to have that for one more night? I don't understand that. But neither do I understand why we hang on to our sin for so long. Why is it that the, 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 the man of God gets up and he preaches and he, and he talks about our lack of soul winning and we say, yeah, you know, I'm just going to put it off. And he talks about our, uh, a bitter spirit that we've hung on to for so long and we say, oh, I'm just going to put it off. He talks about the, the pornography that is in our hearts and the, we've been involved in secretly. We know that it's wrong. And we say, oh, I'm just going to put it off. Why do we put it off? Why not rather run to the God whose arms are outstretched waiting? The Bible says this over and over in the book of Isaiah. For all this... His anger is not turned away. I mean, God is still angry at, at Israel and Judah because they had uh, turned their back on Him. For all this, His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. What does it mean? He says, I'm still beckoning for them. I'm still waiting for them. I still want them to come to me. I still want them to confess their sin. I want them to get right with God. But for whatever reason, they're not doing it. Oh, if Achan had just said, Joshua, we've gotten up early in the morning. You've eliminated 11 tribes and now you've got to come through all of it. Listen, we don't need to go through all of this. Let's instead just understand, I'm the one that's to blame. I'm the one that needs to get right with God. I tell you, I think it would have been a whole lot different. And I'll tell you why I think it would have been a whole lot different. The Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Conversely, he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So if Achan had said, stop the inquest, stop all of this, we don't need to go any further, I'm the one that needs to get right with God and I want to confess my sin right now, if he had done that willingly, if he had done that voluntarily, oh, might the story have been different. But for whatever reason, he wanted to hold on to his sin just as long as he possibly could. By the grace of God, I've been... I've been allowed by the Lord to be involved in full-time evangelism for 20 years. I thank the Lord for that. That's a milestone, and I'm, I'm humbled to be able to say that. Not many men have been in evangelism for that long. But God's allowed me to do it. You know, in all that time of full-time evangelism, I've never met someone that said, you know, I didn't hold on to my sin long enough. I wished I'd I wished I'd have been involved in sin just a little bit longer. I've never met anybody to say that. But oh, have I met scores of people that have said, Oh, Brother Paul, I hang on to my sin too long. I wished I'd have gotten right years before I actually did. That's the way Aiken was. Aiken, what are you thinking? Aiken, how long will you wait before you confess your sin. Child of God, if you're here, we talked about it earlier today, but if you're here, God wants to forgive you and He wants to cleanse you. That's just the teaching of the Word of God. Why 
Why, why would we walk away from that and shun it as if there's something wrong? We ought to run. If God has spoken to your heart, if there's something that God has been speaking to you about, man, you ought to run. You know, you know the business of an invitation if you've been in this church a little bit. You, know, you understand it all. You don't have to have me explain it to you. So let's get right with God. Let's get right with God. Let's stop playing games. Let's not just assume, well, I'm just going to let the whole process. Listen, God, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32 and verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Listen, it may, it, it may be a long time, but that sin is going to be uncovered. I may not know it. The pastor may not know it. Other people may not know it, but it's going to be uncovered eventually. You might as well just make it right and receive the mercy that God gives for those who confess and forsake sin. There's one other person that I'd like to talk about. To Agrippa, we had to ask the question of conversion. To Achan, we have to ask the question of cleansing. But there's a third question. It's found in Judges chapter 16. Judges, if you're in the book of Joshua, Judges is just the next book over. Judges chapter 16 is the story of yet another man, this time a man by the name of Samson. Samson was a man, was, uh, he was chosen by Almighty God to lead Israel against a, a group of people known as the Philistines. And the Philistines, were, the Philistines were mightily oppressing the children of Israel at that time because the children of Israel had turned their back on God. And so all of that was going on, and yet God raised up Samson. Samson was separated from the time he was born to the time he died as a Nazarite unto God. I don't have time to explain all of that except to say God wanted Samson to do something very special for him. There were special rules for the Nazarites, and for Samson as a Nazarite, God uniquely gifted him with physical strength. He was able to do things that, that no man would ever be able to do. And they, talk, they want to talk about the man of steel in comic books. Well, Samson really did incredible things like that. Well, there was a time when they had locked Samson in, and Samson went to the gates of the city. I'm not talking about the doors of the auditorium. I'm talking about the gates of the city. And he picked up the gates of the city, and he marched to the top of a hill, and set the gates down there, and escaped, and they couldn't keep him in. That's the kind of thing Samson did. He was a man of extraordinary physical ability. But I'm going to tell you something else about Samson. From the time Samson grew into a man until the time he died, Samson was a man who lived for himself. Here's an example. In Judges chapter 14, the story is this. Samson goes down and he finds a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now God had expressly told the children of Israel, you're not allowed to marry people who are not Jews. You're not allowed to do that. It, It was not a racial issue, it was a religious issue. Because they were idol worshipers. We know from the record of the Old Testament and from what God said, if you, were, if you marry these idol worshipers, they're going to pull you away so that you're going to do sacrifice to their idols. That's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened to Solomon and on and on. By the way, if you're here today, I don't care how lonely your heart is at night, don't go find an unsaved spouse. Amen. Don't do it. Amen. Because if you know Christ as Savior and they don't, it's an unequal yoke. It's not going to work out. Amen. It's not going to work out. So the Bible says that he went down to Timnath to the daughters of the Philistines. And you know what? He, he came back to his parents and said, I'll tell you what, I found me a girl and I want to marry her. In Timnath? Yeah. You found a Philistine girl? Yeah. Listen to the words of his parents. Is there never a woman of the daughters of thy people that thou goest to seek a wife of the uncircumcised? Samson, is there never, 
Why can't you find a Jewish girl who knows and loves God? Why can't you, why you got to go down there? Listen to what Samson said, because this tells the story of his life. Are you listening? Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. That tells you what you need to know right there. Samson was serving God as long as serving God fit in with his plans of serving himself. But by the time we get to Judges chapter 16, we find we're, we're getting toward the end of the story. Samson's living for himself hasn't worked out for him. That girl that he thought he wanted to marry, he, all the process was done, and they were in the, in the marriage ceremony, and after the marriage ceremony, they burnt that woman and her father's house, burned her house down on top of her and killed her. That's what the Bible says. But now we're in chapter 16. Notice what the Bible says in verse 4. It says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. Now, assuming five lords of the Philistines, which there were, that's fifty-five hundred pieces of silver. That's a chunk of change. This woman does not love him. She wants to use him as a means to get wealthy. Now, guys, can I just tell you, there are women like that still today. That's why you need to look for a woman that loves God, first of all. You need to find someone that loves God more than she loves you. That was not Delilah. The Bible says in verse 6, Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said, now, let me, let's just stop right there at verse 6, okay? We have some single people in this room. I hope that in your goals for your life is to get married and to have a family and to raise children, all right? And God help us. We've got a lot of people telling folks today, well, whatever you do, don't get married. Girls, go off and have a career. And maybe that's cool when you're 24, but by the time you get 50 and all that all you have to come home to is a blind dog, it's not, it's not so, so great anymore. But if you are going to get married, let me give you some free dating advice. Have your pencil ready. Have your, have your writing utensil uh, standing by. Because I'm fixing to give you some dating advice, all right? Are you listening? If you're on a date with this person, and they're sitting across the table from you, and one of the first questions they ask you is, how can I bind you to afflict you? the relationship is not going in the proper direction. Okay? But that's exactly what she said. You imagine? I don't know. It was candlelight dinner. I suppose it must have been. (laughs) Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Now, maybe we can give Samson a little bit of credit. Maybe he thinks, Oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'll I'll just play around with her. And so, look at verse 7. I'm, just, I'm not telling her the truth. We're just playing here. Samson said unto her, If they bind me with green widths that were never dried, then shall I be weak as another man. A green width is a vine like what Tarzan swings in on. Okay, It's, just, it's an undried vine. That's what he says. So, verse 8, Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green widths which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Okay, maybe it was all in jest at first, but now this woman brings up seven green widths. 
you would think that any reasonable person would say, wait a minute, I wonder if this woman might not be out to get me. I told her that I could be bound to be afflicted with these green wits, and what do you know? Here the chick shows up with the green wits, but that's not all. Look at verse 8. Seven green wits, and she bound him with them. Now verse 9, there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. So, not only does she produce the green wits to bind him, but she has an ambush laid. Sooner or later, paranoia has to kick in. If they're really out to get you, it's not paranoia, right? I mean, that's the, that's the saying. Uh, I, at this point, if Samson were to go home to his parents and say, you know, I'm not really sure, but I think my date has got something against me. He, <laughs> that's not a conspiracy theory. Amen. That's the truth. So the Bible says, he break the widths as the thread of toe is broken when it toucheth the fire, so his strength was not known. Okay, maybe that was just a little game, but you would think he would start to get wise when in verse 10, Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, Okay, I, I did tell a lie. The first, I thought it was all a game. But then he tells her another one. If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Again, that wasn't true. But... What does she do in verse 11? He said, or verse 12, excuse me, Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith. Delilah did this to him. And said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and they were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber. Again, same thing, only it's not widths, it's new ropes, but it's the same thing. The Bible says, There were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber, in the end of verse 12, and he brake them from off his arms like a thread. You would think after the second time that he would start to see it, but he doesn't see it. Now, I want to tell you something. I want everyone looking right up here. I want you to understand me. Every one of you, from the youngest child in here to the oldest, the most senior saint. <laughs> Not the old, the most senior saint. When you live for yourself, you are blinded to reality. Things that are plain to everyone else, you can't see them. When you and I read the story of Samson and Delilah, this woman is trying to get him. We, you see it. I see it. Amen. We think to ourselves, why aren't you running from this woman? But Samson doesn't see it. You know why? Because living for yourself blinds you to reality. That's why. It blinded Samson. Samson couldn't see it. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to blind you too. Your parents or your pastor or your, your uh, teachers or someone is going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, I'm really concerned about this. And you're going to get all upset. Well, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? I just, I just don't see it that way. No, you don't see it that way because you've been blinded by living for yourself. That's why. And when you begin to lift up your eyes away from the things of self and begin to look on the needs of others, it opens your eyes to not only their issues and their problems, but it also opens your eyes to reality in your own life that you couldn't see because living for self makes us so myopic that we can't notice it. Look at the text. The Bible says in verse 13, Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. And she fastened it with the pen. And said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep. I don't know what in the world a man was doing sleeping. I'd find another place to sleep. 
But the Bible says he awaked out of his sleep and he went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. Three times. Verse 15. She said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart. And said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. That's all she was ever after. Now watch verse 19. And she made him sleep. What does that mean? That means she drugged him? I don't know. She made him sleep upon her knees. Again, after this woman has tried three times to afflict me and she's had ambushes waiting for me, I'm not going to go to sleep in that woman's house. Amen. You wouldn't go to sleep in the woman's house. We understand that. But here, here's a man that didn't see it because he's living for himself. Look at verse 19. She called for a man and she caused him, the man, to shave off the seven locks of his head. And then notice, she began to afflict him. She didn't love this man. And his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. I imagine there was a cruel kind of chuckle in their voice as she said that. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. The Philistines, verse 21, took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. If Samson were here today, I would ask him this question. Samson, how much do you have to lose before you surrender to God? Samson had so much potential had so much going for him. The Spirit of God came upon him and he had the, the strength and power of God at times and he would, he would, just, he would just do mighty things for God. And I would, I would say to Samson, if he were here, Samson, how much, how much do you have to lose before you surrender yourself to God? Hey, I'm talking to some young people in here. You've, you're considering going, uh, graduating from high school. You're going to go out into college. You're going to get yourself a career. You're going to make yourself a lot of money and you're going to be set for life and those are your plans. There's nothing wrong with those plans as long as that's what God wants you to do. But I'm talking to some of you, you never asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do with my life? Can I just have you to understand, if you're saved today, your life belongs to God. It belongs to God. July, my family and I were in the nation of Italy for four weeks. I traveled up and down in Italy preaching in four different local churches there. We were in the mainland of Italy, the, the big peninsula there. We were also on the island of Sardinia. We were also on the island of Sicily while I was there preaching the gospel. You know what I found? I found a nation of 60 million people. And as far as we know, there are 12 independent Baptist uh, couples, missionary couples there, reaching 60 million people. Amen. The need is great. Right. And you know what we're finding? We're finding that there are a whole lot more missionaries that are having to come home by reason of health and age than there are missionaries going to take their place. And listen, if God, if God has called you to be in the tech world, well, then you be in the tech world and you serve God. There are people like that in this church. Thank God for them. If you're doing what God wants you to do in that spot, man, praise God for that. 
But I want to ask you, isn't there someone that's going, to, that's going to at least wrestle with the fact that maybe God would want me to spend my life somewhere else serving Him by giving the gospel to others? Hey, maybe there's someone right here in this building. God wants you to serve Him by showing up to soul winning. Amen. But you know what? You know the problem that we have, Pastor? You know the problem that we have that people, don't, people aren't faithful to prayer meetings and soul winnings? It's highlighted for us in the book of Philippians. Here it is. All seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. There's a problem in the first century. Apostle Paul highlighted it. He said, I'm sending Timothy to you, and I'm going to tell you Timothy's good news because he's, a, he's an exception to the rule. He said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own. I want to ask you, is that true of you? And if that is true of you, let me just tell you, you're going to lose some things. There are some that have gone out to serve themselves and they've lost their families because of it. There are some that have gone out to serve themselves and man, they've gotten what they wanted but they lost what they had. Oh, that, that story could be told so many times. I want to ask you, how much are you going to lose before you finally say, that's it. I, my life is God's and here I surrender it to Him today. How much are you going to have to lose before that happens? Samson, he lost his eyesight. Lost his freedom. They bound him. He lost his ability to go where he wanted to go. They took him down to Gaza. Nobody wants to go to Gaza, not even today. The Egyptians used to own Gaza. They signed a treaty with the Jews on one condition. You take Gaza. That's a fact. That's a fact. Nobody wants Gaza even today. But that's where they took Samson. And the Bible says they took him down and they made him grind in the prison house. He lost everything. Right now, in verse 20 or 22, I guess it is, 21 or 22, he is doing the job that a donkey or a mule would do. That's what he's doing. Now, eventually, he surrenders his life to God and in, in this blind state, having, been, having lost his eyesight by reason of his sin, he finally stands there and he says, Okay, God, I'm asking you to remember me and I'm asking you to avenge me of the Philistines of my two eyes. And so a little lad brings him to the two pillars on which the whole building sits. And with the power of God infusing through his body one more time, he brings the entire building down and 3,000 Philistines are destroyed, more in his death than those in his life. But I wonder to myself, how might it have been different if he had just decided before this point in time I'm going to surrender my life to God I have done with living for myself I have done with pleasing myself I want to please God I want Him to have my goals and my plans and my dreams that's what I want Well, how might it have been different child of God I'm talking to some people here you're on the front side of that you've got some plans and goals and dreams and there's nothing wrong with any of those things as long as they're surrendered to God first But if you're, just living, if you're just going from this place to live for yourself, how much are you going to have to lose before you surrender everything to God? Three men. Three times in the story of humanity that these men did foolish things. Can I just urge you, don't be like these three men. The Bible says this, there was, a, there was a boy in a story Jesus told, we call it the story of the prodigal son. He walked away from his father. He said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And so the father divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the son took what the, Lord, that the father had given him. And he, he took, took all and uh, 
went into a far country. There he wasted his substance with riotous living. The Bible says when he had spent all, there began to be a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. The citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. He was slopping hogs now. The Bible says this boy was so hungry, he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. You ever been so hungry you wanted to eat wheat straw? I had neither. But that's where this boy was. Maybe I should just get the... the what, he's want, what he's craving for food is what blows out the back of the combine. That's what he's craving for food. It's of no value to you. It's of no value to me. It's of little value to the hogs. The only reason the hogs can eat is because they're hogs and they eat anything and everything, including their own selves if they have to. But that's what he's craving. You see a combine in this country on, on the harvest, and whatever's coming out the back of it, that's what he's wanting to eat. Well, maybe, maybe I can get some nourishment from that. But then the Bible says this. Are you listening? When he came to himself. All of a sudden, the story begins to turn. The truth is, the moment you and I come to ourselves, we're going to see things God's way too. The moment you come to yourself, you're going to ask, why am I waiting any longer before I get saved? The moment you come to yourself is the minute you're going to say, I don't want to wait any longer before I get this right with God. And the moment you come to yourself is the moment when you say, I need to surrender my life to God. What are you thinking? Will you come to yourself? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. And now, Father, you've given us a time when we can personally consider the things about which you've spoken to us. Every head is bowed right now. Every eye is closed. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Who here would say, you know, Brother Paul, there was a day when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And Brother Paul, if I were to, if I were to die today, I can give you a Bible reason why I know that I'm saved. If that describes you, put your hand up. Would you do that, please? There was a day that I trusted Christ as Savior. I know that I'm saved. Not a doubt in my mind. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Now, there were many that raised their hands, but there are some of you that didn't. And let me tell you, if you didn't raise your hand and you understood my question, I want to thank you for being honest. I've seen people bow to peer pressure and tell the preacher something that they weren't sure was true. But if you understood my question and you didn't raise your hand just now, I'm going to assume you're being honest. There's hope for a person that's honest. Let me say this. If you are here today and you are not saved, it is one of the greatest joys that we have at Lighthouse Baptist Church to be able to see you trust the Lord as your Savior. We'd love to help you with that. If you're here and you're not saved, I want to invite you in just a moment. The pianist is going to begin to play. Not yet. But in a moment, the pianist will begin to play. When you hear that first note of music, if you're here and you're not saved, but you would like for someone to help you with that, I want you to just excuse yourself and find the nearest aisle and make your way down to the front. Pastor Bishop is here. I will come down if need be. We will talk with you. 
will understand why you've come. We'll have someone who, who knows the Bible well and who walks with God. We'll have them take a Bible and show you what the Bible has to say. We want to do that for you. If you're here and you're not saved, that, we want to do that for you. And we will if you'll come. If you'll come. Now you say, Brother Paul, why would you invite us to come? Because the invitation of the Lord Jesus all through the Gospels is come. Come. We're going to give you an opportunity to come. If people know that you're not saved and they see you come, I'll tell you what they'll think. They'll rejoice. They'll rejoice. I've got, there's some people right here. You're not, you're not sure that you're saved, but you've got friends right now that are praying for you and are concerned about you. Would you come today? Child of God, if God has spoken to you, I want to invite you to come too. If you're an Achan here, you don't need to go on being an Achan. You don't, you don't have to fall under the judgment of God. You can just confess it and forsake it and enjoy God's mercy. I don't know how far God's mercy is going to extend, but I will tell you this, whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. Maybe there's some people here, you just need to surrender everything to a holy God. I wish I could tell you the fallout. Fallout's not the right word. The, ram, the ongoing ramifications just because one man surrendered. I got to look in, in Italy at multitudes of people who had come to Christ just because somebody somewhere said, Lord, I'm not much, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. If that's you, child of God, I want to invite you to respond. One final question and we'll be done. Who here would say, Brother Paul, I'll just be honest. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I need to be saved. And I wonder, would you pray for me? If that describes you, would you just slip up your hand right now? I'm not saved, Brother Paul, but I pray. I want you to pray for me. Pray for me. All right, may we stand to our feet, please, everyone standing. Lord in heaven.